Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Smithsonian Magazine shares an incredible story of bravery, grit, and determination. It was January 16, 1942, and Chief Petty Officer Harold Dixon and his two-man crew took off in an airplane bomber from their aircraft carrier, the USS Enterprise. They were on a mission over the Pacific Ocean, canvassing an area patrolled by the Japanese Navy. They kept radio silence to protect the carrier's location from the enemy. And all was going according to plan until well into the mission when the crew drifted off course. They could not locate the Enterprise to return. And with their airplane almost out of fuel, they were forced to ditch into the ocean, beginning a month-long treacherous ordeal. You see, although all three men survived the water landing, their survival gear sank. It sank to the ocean floor along with their plane three miles below the ocean waves. The raft that held the three men was only four feet wide by eight feet long. Little solace for the high wind, crashing waves, and blaring sun. They endured sleepless light nights with no flashlight, no oars, and no food or water. Among their only belongings, they possessed a police whistle, a pocket knife, a can of rubber cement, a pistol with three clips of ammunition, two life jackets, and the clothes on their backs. So once the three men accepted their situation and mourned their circumstances, they remained to stay positive and control their fate as best they could. They ate fish that they killed with that pocket knife, and they fashioned the soles of their shoes into makeshift paddles. But as the days turned into weeks, They became dehydrated and starving and sunburned with little hope of ever being rescued. Drifting off course in their plane had landed these three men in deep water, literally. Let's pause the story there. Have you ever drifted? It's like your life is going pretty well and then something happens and you get off course. You drift away from the direction that you were going. And even though this new direction might be sprinkled with moments of fun and temporary satisfaction and joy or success, it's not where you know you should be. And eventually you find yourself in deep water. You're in trouble You're in pain. You're in regret. We all know the stories. TV evangelists who are tempted and give in to that temptation, and they get off course. We might know someone who's had a marital affair, seeing something they like in another person other than their spouse, 
and they get off course. They drift from their marriage. The drift might be a drift of an addiction, feeling a need to escape and numb a pain. We drift when we look across the yard at something our neighbor has and we think we need to have that thing, so we stretch our budget and we drift in our spending. Or maybe our drift is a very private drift where we allow our eyes or our ears or our thoughts to connect with something that we know is not God-honoring. Drifts can happen swiftly with little warning, but with great consequences, and opportunities to drift are all around us. When we drift, we find ourselves in that space between what the world says is okay and what the Bible says. The world says, go ahead, look at pornography. But in the Bible, Jesus said, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. In his heart. The world says, give in to advertising. Buy all those newest and latest things, things you don't need. But Jesus says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. The world says, flaunt your newest thing. Jesus says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. In love. The world says, just try it. It's not addictive. You'll love it. Jesus says, love me with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The world says it's okay to get off course, that it's okay to drift because everybody's doing it. But God, God calls us to have an anchor in our life that keeps us from drifting. God calls us to be anchored in him. When we keep our eyes on Jesus and navigate our lives on his character, we have a strong anchor to hold on to when temptations come our way. This is week four in our Building Character series, and we're looking at the character of Jesus as our compass. It's his character that keeps us from drifting, and we can trust the character of Jesus because, well, he's Jesus. We find his character described in Hebrews 7. Jesus is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. Jesus has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. This is who Jesus is. His character is holy and blameless and sinless. More of Jesus' character in my life? Yes, please. And although we could never attain this kind of perfection, the Bible tells us that God loves us. When we drift and when we sin, God still loves us. Romans chapter 5, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were all still sinners. This verse is our anchor. God loves us so much that he sent Christ to be our anchor when we're tempted to drift. So no matter what the temptation, Christ died for every drift in our lives. 
And today, we know that we are not the first ones to drift. Drifting has been around for a long time. Sin has been around for a long time. Within the pages of the Bible, we find men and women who tried not to drift, and some of them got it right most of the time. And others, many, many others, had moments of drifting. And in the midst of their drift, God was there. David was a king of Israel. He wrote many of the Psalms, and his influence in the life of his people was great. Every king in Judah after David was held to the high standards of what David established. He was a righteous king, but he was also a sinner like you and me. And David drifted. In 2 Samuel 11, we see how. You see, it was springtime, the time when kings go off to war. The season of that time of year, the rainy season, would be over in the Middle East, so roads would be in better condition. There would be more food for wartime animals. So given that time of year, it was time for war. And in this chapter of 2 Samuel, we read that every able-bodied man in Israel went to battle, except David. This is not normal. You see, there's other passages, passages in 2 Samuel where David rallies his troops together and they go off to battle. He goes with them, but in this battle, he chose to stay home. And his behavior on this occasion came before an even more reprehensible act that is about to follow. Picture it with me. David's huge army gears up. He kisses, they kiss their wives goodbye. They, hung, they hug their children, saddle their horses, and head out to fight. Swords in the air, shimmering in the sun. But David remains in his palace. He stays in Jerusalem. We join the story in verse 2 of chapter 11, and his drift soon becomes evident. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. We are just one verse in. And if you're like me, you're already thinking, David, stop. You're getting close to a drift. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David, you're drifting. Stop. Then David sent messengers to get her drifting. She came to him, and he slept with her drifting. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Do you see his drift? How does David get to this place? David is a king. He has everything he could possibly need or want, but all those things are not enough. He wants what he cannot have, and he takes it anyway. 
David drifts. Scripture has so much to say about David. From a very humble childhood, he virtually rose to stardom. In fact, David is described as a man after God's own heart. And that means he possessed many of the qualities that were God-honoring. He was obedient. He was trusting. He was humble. He was courageous. He was a loving man. Yes, David was an exceptional man, but just like you and me, he was human. He had faults and shortcomings. And we find that in this time of his life, his flesh is weak and he drifts. He drifts into sin. Maybe you've been there. A tempting opportunity comes before you and like David, you drift off course. For David, it's a drift of desire. Bathsheba's husband Uriah is out of town. He's one of those able-bodied men who goes off to war. David sees her. He lusts for her and commits adultery with her. And now he's scrambling. And in his effort to cover up his sin, he comes up with a shocking plan. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Joab was the commander of David's army. And he sent it with Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And in it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. David is saying, put this man out where the battle is fiercest. He will most likely die. I will eliminate him from the mess, the mess I've created. Verse 16. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. David's plan worked. And there's so much pain involved. Bathsheba is heartbroken. She hears of her husband's death and she mourns for him. But David has her brought to the palace. She becomes his wife and she gives birth to their son. Fast forward to verse 27. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. David sinned. He left his faith, the anchor of his life, slip, and he finds himself off course. What David did displeased God, and God did not give him peace until he came to see his sin for what it was and repent of it. In Psalms 32, David writes about his feelings of conviction for his sin. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. 
have you ever been this loaded down? You've drifted. And for whatever reason, you've kept it to yourself, silent. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of the consequences. Maybe it's your ego or your pride that is getting in the way. So you stuffed it down way deep inside like David describes here. And you feel the burden of sin so incredibly heavy. It's just eating you away from the inside out. And you feel that way because God designed us to obey him and to love him. And there are consequences when we go against how God designed us. There's physical consequences from our sin. It's not just that internal conflict between us and God. There are health issues that might result from your conflict. Harboring secrets can lead to digestive issues, a weakened immune system, and high blood pressure. And there are emotional consequences when we sin. Living in sin results in an emptiness and a brokenness, the emotions of guilt and depression, even suicidal thoughts can accompany our sin. And spiritually, the consequence of sin breaks into our relationship with God and we're just not as spiritually sharp. But... We don't need to stay crushed by the weight of our sin. Instead, when we drift, we must confess our sin to God and ask God to restore our relationship with him. And that's what we find David doing. If we keep reading in 2 Samuel, we see that God sent the prophet Nathan to talk to David, and David admits his sin to God. And through his mercy, God continues to walk with him. But David's sin has repercussions, and there's loss. The son that he conceived with Bathsheba dies. Whoa. Wait a minute. David sinned, but he repented. That's the right thing to do. Happy endings all around, right? No. You see, sometimes the outcome of our sin is not a happy ending. We need to go to God and seek forgiveness, and we should go to that other person and reconcile and make it right between us and the person we sinned against. But sometimes the result of our sin is pain and loss, and that's what happened to David and Bathsheba. But there's so much more to David's story that I need to tell you about today. There's more for us to know. When we read this story about David's life, it's helpful to understand that David's sin, his drift, is the exception in his life. It's not the rule of his life. It's just a part of who he is, who he was. Listen, please. Yes, sin is sin, and it's ugly, And it's painful. But because of Jesus, sin does not define us. His love for us defines us. For God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to save us. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
There is so much more to David than his sin. And there is so much more to us, to who God created us to be, than our sin. David was a son and a brother, a musician, a shepherd, a leader, a friend. Surely we can identify with one of these characteristics of David in our life. We are sons and brothers and friends and leaders and musicians and workers. And we know that in our moments of drift, if confessed, they don't need to define us because God sent his son Jesus as the sacrifice for all of our drifts. One of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor is to listen to so many of your stories. Stories of celebration, blessed moments with God. And also stories of incredible pain, stories of drifting. And my heart breaks over and over again for the losses that you tell me. Unhappy endings that result from those times of sin. But I know that as best I can, God helps me to speak truth and encouragement and reconciliation in your lives because that's how God sees you. That's how he sees me. He looks at us with value and with love. So if you or someone you love is in a place of drifting today, God longs to restore you and the relationships that have been damaged. And we can trust That when we lean into the character of Jesus, he will be there for us. Matthew chapter 4 tells a story about Jesus' character. He's in the desert and he's just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time without food. And the devil sees an opportunity to tempt Jesus to drift. Three times. The devil tries to tempt Jesus with physical needs, power, and pride. And with each temptation, even in his weakened condition, Jesus refuses to drift. He relies instead on God's strength as he quoted scripture and used it against the enemy. And after the third temptation, Jesus takes the offense. He scores a touchdown here. Come on, that's my only Super Bowl analogy for the day. He scored a touchdown with what he did. He quotes scripture to the enemy. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus put the focus on worshiping God alone and not on those other things that the devil was tempting him with. This is a huge clue for us, friends. Jesus knew his strength always, and especially in this moment, was coming from his Father God. Just like Jesus, we need to stay connected to our anchor when we're tempted. And Jesus was so disciplined and aware of his relationship with the Father that he could withstand these temptations from the devil. Discipline. Discipline is not an easy thing. Discipline might be a struggle for most of us. If if I was disciplined, I would exercise more. 
If I was really disciplined, I wouldn't eat chocolate every day, several times a day. We put an addition on our house, and I looked at it as a positive thing because now there's more rooms for me to have more chocolate in. But, But seriously, when it comes to staying on course in our lives, there are disciplines we must practice, and they aren't quick fixes. But the really good news is these disciplines I'm going to share with you Most of them are done in the fellowship with others, our friends, our family, our spouse. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, lists the disciplines that the Christ follower should incorporate into our lives. They are the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and the corporate disciplines. The inward disciplines are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. These are the disciplines that we do in fellowship with God. They are those intimate actions between us and the Lord that draw us closer to him. They are basically ways that we hear from God. And the outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, and service, This is the work that we do in our lives. The outward disciplines affect how we live with others that grow us and our relationship with others. And the corporate disciplines, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. These are the beautiful disciplines that just free us from ourselves and draw us into fellowship with God And with others. And these disciplines are valuable because they take us closer to the anchor in our life, closer to God, and we can practice them regularly. So I invite you to look at this list. Think about the discipline or two or three or five that you're already doing. And then think about which one or two might be helpful for you to incorporate into your life to firm up that anchor and keep you from drifting. It might take hard work to return to a place with God that you were or that you long to be, but it's what we need to do to stay on course. So remember... Chief Petty Officer Harold Dixon and his crew, after 34 days at sea and floating over a 1,000 miles, they washed up on the northern Cook Islands. And seven days later, a seaplane carried these sailors back to their fleet. And here's what I want you to remember from their story. While floating in the ocean, Officer Dixon remembered all the charts that he had studied aboard his ship. He said he had a mental picture of where every island was so he knew where he wanted to go. And Dixon said, I had no intention of letting that raft drift aimlessly, guided only by the shifting winds. I was determined to sail that raft if I could. What Dixon and his small crew, what sets them apart is that they remembered. 
They remembered what they had studied and learned for years before they drifted, and they fought like mad to get back on track. You don't need to stay in a place of drifting. You can get back on track and commit today to be anchored in God. The connection card lists the spiritual disciplines, and I invite you to look at those and respond to today's message by adding one or more to your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the way that you can speak into our lives, for the way you call us out of our drift, out of our sin, and into a relationship with you. And Lord, if there's any friends or family members here today that have drifted, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them back, back into fellowship with you. I pray, Lord, that we will seek forgiveness and restoration for the areas of sin and drift in our lives. God, thank you for your incredible love, a love that never fails, a love that is there for us and calls us back. And Lord, thank you for being with us, for loving us so deep and wide. Be our source and be our anchor today, I pray. In your precious name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.